Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Rolex Whiskey Passion Project. Today, I have, you know, thanks to whiskey, a good friend on the call who's seen a lot of whiskey, had a lot of fun. Many, many, many of you might know him out there. I'd like to welcome my dear friend, Neil Strachan, to the show. Neil, welcome, buddy. How are you? I'm very well, Gavin. Um, thank you very much for having me on the show. Well, I've you've had a journey, baby, and I want to hear about the journey. Let's start with an easy question. When was your first meeting with Whiskey in Life? Oh, the first meeting with Whiskey in Life. It was around, you know, it was always around, but I come from a family that don't really drink a great deal. So probably a millennium edition of Glen Morangie um, that one of my uncles took around to my grand's house when I was a child, and I think it still gets pulled out every year and it's still never been finished. And, I mean, when you first started, I mean, I don't know if this is true for you, but when I first started drinking whiskey, I was drinking whiskey to drink alcohol. Pretty much the same. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, May well fall. I w we were a little bit more sophisticated uh, drinking whiskey instead of something else. But uh, yeah, it was the point of drinking alcohol. So, so for you growing up, and really, you know, like you said, not really a, a non-drinking family. So, what is that like? What does the whiskey landscape look like when you're, you know, I'm throwing up in air quotes. Go, you know, being sophisticated is it? Just Glen Morangi, or are there a couple of other players in the field at that time? Yeah, uh, Morangi, the Livet was, uh, you know, Glen Livet 12 was, de we definitely went through a phase of drinking Glen Livet 12. I can't remember when those years were, but I think it was in between ski seasons. So it'd be 1920, and Glen Livet 12 was like a group. We just thought, oh, what a buy. And to be fair, what great whiskey. Um, uh, what you know, how to build a brand on a whiskey. So, so it gets to a point. When do you like as as Neil, the business guy? When like what was what? I, I forget actually. What was your first foray into like getting into the whiskey business? Yeah, so uh, like 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 yourself, hospitality background. So it, I start we. I was going to go to Switzerland. A friend of mine who was a general manager changed hotels and I was like, I don't really need another season of bumming around. Heard there was a new hotel in Aberdeen opening called uh, Malmaison, which is still there to this day. And there was a big whiskey room in there. We put in that first year another 250 bottles, I think on the list. It was a 550 bottle collection, all full of whiskey that you know, are just unicorns now. All this amazing old Adelphi selection stuff, a load of um, the rare malt selection, that old Diageo stuff, and oh, just some amazing liquid. But because the room was glass-fronted and I had to go and host whiskey tastings whenever someone asked, or one of the bar team had to, I soon started to see that there was this, like, love of different whiskeys. And... There was no other spirit. And at this point I was, you know, venturing into like making cocktails and playing around and learning a lot about spirits and alcohol at the time. But it was whiskey. It was a national spirit that pulled on people's heartstrings that you'd have everyone from like Calvin Harris, Tito Jackson, down to just someone random in the hotel that would see a bottle and go, oh my gosh, that's, you know, that's a bottle that, you know, in Scotland, a lot of the chat was, 
oh, we were 17 camping in the Highlands. That was the bottle of whiskey that someone had stolen from their dad. We got hammered drunk and what time it was camping. And it had about all these amazing stories because of the bottles of whiskey. And because of the collection we had, the invites that we were given that year and then kind of after were amazing. So then you hear all the amazing stories from the distilleries. And, you know, it was always good uh, supporting the national spirit and it was something I just fell in love with. And these stories are, and, and, and it's still stories that I kind of revolve my passion for whiskey around to this day. But for you, so I, I didn't, so first of all, when I come back and visit, which looks like will be May next year, I definitely want to go check that part of that hotel out because that sounds like exactly up my alley of rabbit holes of whiskey. But for you, like as the, you know, going away from, I mean, not that you were mixed, co- you were making the mixed cocktails, but like, what was a whiskey that you tasted that could have started the journey where you were like, whoa, like, because you said like, you know, you, you, you were in the, and the passion was starting, but like, was there a whiskey turning point? Like a spirit in particular where you're like, shit, that's different. Or were you just oh, exposed to so much great whiskey that you were like, fuck, it's all so great. Oh, it, it, like there was so much good stuff. The uh, good friend of mine, Bernd Steinberg, who's now running an amazing property in Austria, me and him every night once we finished, it would just be blind tastings. We'd be like, guess what that is? What is this? Try this. And I don't know, some of the unicorns in that room, what got me into peated whiskey was, I think, an early 70s poor talent from Gordon McPhail's Connoisseur Choice. And it was like, oh. And then that turned into like a really nasty six months of drinking loads and loads of peated whiskey. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, there was other things in there like Una Habin, uh, 41-year-olds from Adelphi Selection. It was up, still up there to this day with one of the best whiskeys I've ever drank. Well, oh, I was, I was at, what do you call that? When I was at Glen Eagles, I, I, there was a 42 year old Adelphi of that one. Oh, oh, well, it, that, that would have been this next batch to come out the year after. And the team that were still there love that one as well. If they just out in the same crop of casks, oof, it's your boy. <laughs> that was great whiskey. So you, so you go in, so you're in, you're, you're in it. I mean, you're in it. And like you said, now you're starting to get invited around to all these distil like with the distilleries and stuff. Are you just like geeking out and and savoring or are you just the life of the party? Uh well, you know you, you, <laughs> I know <laughs> you know me. Uh, and obviously fifty fifty. <laughs> no, but in, in in all seriousness, I mean even even in my hospitality career, when I was turning up to things, I always kept the the head on that it was like okay this is a learning experience this is you're you're learning listen enjoy because i think that personally alcohol for drinking and how how can you ever talk about whiskey if you're spitting it out because so much more happens once it goes down your throat <laughs> and you know it changes great whiskey changes and plays and if you're spitting is that part of the journey i always disagreed with that but it was, yeah, just an amazing time of good drinking whiskey. And, and you know, your your previous guest, Daryl Haldane, Daz, he was yeah. one of the people that I, uh, you know, had, you know, he'd invite me to his trainings and I learned loads of things, especially rum. I one great training session down at Glen Eagles with, uh, with him on molecular drinks and rum. And it was like, okay, this is what like a Brandon Bath is. Okay, that sets the standard. 
So we had such great people around us in those, in those kind of days. We were really fortunate on the opportunities that were given to us, but also having that baller collection and being so close to Speyside, oh man, there's a lot of good invites. <laughs> well, and that's what tripped me out. It's like when I was there, you know, whatever it was a couple of weeks ago, I was like, holy fuck, this is like the promised land. Like it's here. It's in nooks and crannies. Like, you know, the hotel that you came when I was staying and we had breakfast. I was like, that little bar in there. I'm like, yo, like nobody's in here. And they have all this great whiskey. Like, I'm like, what do I do? Like, this is wild. Yeah, there's, there, there is a lot of, there's a lot of good liquid that's been stashed away over the years that just slowly filters its way into bar, into space height. And man, like, you know, the station hotel in Rothes where he's staying is amazing. Go along the road to Craig Alecky. You've got two exceptional whiskey bars there. Go further along Tabor Lower and you know, you got the mash ton in the Dowins. It's just whiskey heaven up here. I'm like, you know, I was saying, you know, Dad's, you know, the, the night before I'm flying home, he's like, Yeah, let's just drink a bunch of Bowmore from nineteen sixty four. Like, yeah, we should totally do that. That sounds like a great fucking idea. And I'm like, holy shit. Like you could literally just you know, I was I was using the term dinosaur whiskey. You could just dinosaur whiskey around there for a couple of weeks until your liver starts to say, hey, maybe you should stop for a minute. But just drink like it's the past. Well, if 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 I know you, do you think you could manage our two weeks? Because I don't know. I'm thinking five days. I'm thinking five you know, days. Me, <laughs> me and you in Vegas at end, you know, by by two and a half days we're hurting. Yeah, no, no, I, I, okay, be realistic. I think I could go five days if I had good food. <laughs> so, okay, so now you're at, so you're at the hotel, you're in hospitality. What, what becomes the next step? I'm, I'm going to imagine it's somebody, a, an ambassadorship opens up for you, or do, is there a step before that? Yeah, so I, I ended up being out in the country. I had the privilege of staying just down from Balmoral Castle, looking, you know, working for my friend's uh, father and like loved living in the country. But I would just keep my hand in whenever I could to help out a friend in, you know, a cocktail style uh, bar. And he, uh, my good friend Gomez, Adrian Gomez, um, has a great pop up bar company, Can Dollar Shake, who, who now we use up in the distilleries a lot, which is cool having that 360 journey with him. But he's down behind wow. Dufton. I was, I met the then head of commercial for Southeast Asia. After, after she said Gino Balvenie 30, I was like, yeah, you stop at the whiskey bar. Sure. Would, you, would you be comfortable doing a tasting of it to the group? So I knocked that out. I think I luckily blagged some key tasting notes of like honey and vanilla for them. And then she presented her card. And I had no idea really who the group were. And she was like, I don't know what you're doing, Neil. I'd love to talk to you if you were interested in moving to Singapore. And yeah, so then I was... You know, a couple of months later, a lot of job interviews. I was shooting off to uh, Southeast Asia to be the uh, representative of the, well, the face of the Balvenie over there, which was uh, which was an amazing four and a half years. I mean, what's that like? I mean, Daz tells stories, you know, you and then I, I met, you know, Brett the other day and he tells stories. Let's hear it from your mouth. Like, what is that like? Because the whiskey scenes, it's it's a it's a thing in Singapore. Oh. Um, well, you know, let's just lay down the law to anywhere that do you think they have good whiskey bars? You don't have as good whiskey bars as Singapore does. 
when you look at what Emmanuel has really done an amazing job with and started, I think in a lot of ways with like the Ald Alliance. I still think the Ald Alliance is the best whiskey bar I've ever been in the world. I've been in some amazing bars. I've got some, you know, wonderful, wonderful collections. But when you're drinking like pre 1900 Chivas Brothers bottlings, you're getting wartime McAllen's, you're getting the whole Carazara range. There's days when 72 Samaroli Frogs are getting open, original Bowmore Blacks, and all these things are just available for you to dram on. You soon start to learn even more about Red and Old. Le Maison de Whiskey having a store there was a privilege. I, I think I was the first brand ambassador to jump on the bar there uh, during a tasting. Um, you've got the Quake Bar, you've yeah. got the Swan Song, you've got the most badass whiskey festival um, called the Malta Fair. Where people just like go into their collections, which are ludicrous, and then just pull up a stand and let the community taste them. I was lucky to be there in the early days, and whew, you know, follow well, maybe it's in liquid and things that people brought out. So, and but that I was just Singapore. Then you've got the rest of Southeast Asia and how sociable those individuals are. So, oh, it was an amazing time. You know, in, in every single way, and it's just such a different way of, you know, what I was used to and, and how consuming whiskey was done and, and the social context to it was, yeah, yeah an amazing, amazing four and a half years. Because, because it's all, it, it's very social, right? It's very, it's, it, it, it's, it's a huge social element for that, that crew in Singapore, these amazing whiskey bars and, and, and amazing whiskeys. It's a thing. It's a big thing. Huge, huge, huge thing. And but then you know you couple the great whiskey bars with at, at the time when I was living there, six of the top fifty bars in the world were in Singapore. Some amazing, amazing restaurants. So you could tie in, you know, in a lovely, serious, in, in in serious, serious whiskey trainings. Really taking deep diving into what whiskey is, but then showcasing spirit with the best in the world and getting to work with them to showcase what the brand was and you know just just an amazing four and a half years of seeing and, and building out activities with still to still to this day probably the best brand manager I ever worked with was my first ever chap there and, he, and they were so creative at the time and wow what an amazing time to be there um just yeah just just well, amazing. I mean, great, great time I mean also at that point for you with above any like there was a lot more whiskey accessible, correct? Like you could get single cast stuff like that. Like you really had access to great whiskey in that period. It hadn't really like the scarcity hadn't hit yet. Yeah, well, I, I think you know the scarcity stuff all all stems from the pandemic. But at, at the time, they were very much they, everything was under allocation. But we were building, we we're building a brand out there. You know, you're taking. It's a very historic whiskey market that there's amazing history from like the early 1900s of representatives. So like Johnny Walker, Grant, so all these big names to this day were going over and selling their wares on the other side of the world when you couldn't just wire money. There was bank transactions. It was telegrams of communication letters going on. It wasn't easy like it is to this day. And they've drank you know, for a hundred plus years, a lot of blend. So yeah. uh, like as, as the journey in, in, in Scotland kind of is, is I suppose 
my generation, our generation is moving on to drinking more single malt because of the interesting more bigger flavors. And it was taking, taking that, you know, taking that whole area of Southeast Asia and getting them really interested in single malt on like a slightly lower level, not like the whiskey geeks in Singapore that knew it, but taking it out there and, and letting people taste the wonders of it. So it was, it was a lot of growing, uh, getting done in, on whiskey at that point. And for you, I mean, was there, with what you're doing and, and your responsibility, were there any, like, knock it out the park whiskeys that were going around in that period, or everything was pretty much fucking great? Like, was uh, there a moment? I'm no, looking I, for a moment where you're like, holy fuck, that's pretty fucking cool that this just hit the market and I've got this. Yeah, oh gosh, like, there as a you know let, let's be honest highlight and down uh dcs compendium celebrating david stewart's life what hero i got to spend so much time with david stewart so you know he uh, the dcs compendium was celebrated it was a body of work written by my old uh global brand ambassador sam Simmons, and david paired 25 whiskeys to tell the story or help associate the story i got so much of those with me, and there was there was one in chapter two, uh, which was a 1992 Shari Balvenie, and it was just like, oh my gosh! And the funny story about it was, my before when I got sent the box, my mate from Aberdeen was in the office. I was like, Luke Selkie, we'll go through to the Glenfiddich event, but open the box first bottle you pick out, we'll try because I haven't tried them, and it's nice to drink whiskey with someone. He said, like, wow. It was this 1992 Shadi Cap Albany. And I asked him, I was like, what do you think? And he looks at me and he goes, oh, no, man. Don't know if you're going to be offended by this, but do you remember like old Zacapa when Zacapa wasn't quite in the masses yet, just a bit better? I was like, yeah. Does it not remind you of that? And I was like, yeah, that was a spot on losing. No. And it was, I was I'm losing a key. But that DCS compendium, because it was all single cast ball slings that David and Han picked, that if you have one of those ball tools or a couple glides, that's cool whiskey, you know? Well, now you got me intrigued. <laughs> so now I got to go try to find a bottle and see what that's all about. Uh, I, might have a, I might have a lovely young peated one that uh, that's in my collection if, you, if you're really struggling. <laughs> I look no, I that 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 sounds like so tell me about your time with Dave. Like the with you and David Stewart, because you've mentioned him so many times in our friendship and our hanging out. And I've you know, the the closest I got to meeting with him was one of the the end during COVID, he tasted with, with us at and Mahesh's crew like on Zoom in his kitchen at like two in the morning. And he just looked like the fucking ultimate like embodiment of excitement of spirit. You know, David, you know, what one of the things when we when David was coming over to Asia, it was always always a dumb thing that an ambassador would be with him. Because we had the travel retail kind of hub in the office as well, we got more of David's time probably than we should have, which meant I got more time with him. And what was lovely was, you know, I, I I started to obviously learn a lot more about what David had done through their role. So there was this admiration there. But whenever you were around him, 
you just felt so at ease and it, it i think it was quite easy for me and him to get on especially you know wh when we were over in say singapore or gosh korea um, which was another story with him but it, we always just talked and it was just like talking to a scottish man and me and, me and him would just get on there'd be a few pints afterwards it might be maybe some champagne some nights which is always a fun night but it, it was just really easy going and you never think that you'd learn anything from him until the week later you'd be telling some story during one of the tastings and he'd be like oh geez that's neat that's some new uh that's a new stuff and some amazing like just insight into like how whiskey was made from him and his journey through 60 years i was like yeah you know outstanding times um just spending with him and, and getting to host so much fun dinners and stuff with him yeah i, I mean that's just a whole are. different that's just a, that's just a whole different generation like the pioneers of it like they carry such a huge part of the foundation of what we're drinking now well you know he helped he really helped shape what we do enjoy drinking because he was he, he was one of the few that i suppose we can we can spend time with still and i'm lucky to have spent time with that he was in the world when it was blending and he grew up through blends through the you know and then really started the popularity of what single malt was and 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 was there when this change started to happen so you know things like finishing process they weren't you know it was never called that you know it was Moranji company that called that but um it was something that he was doing and you know what what amazing work he did with like Glenn Fiddick and Balvani in those days to make make those brands what they are to this day so you know it was it was always such a joy absolutely you know you know what the question you know what the question I've never asked and you I'm sure know the answer or close to the answer is like what was the like how did the whole single malt come about like why you know because like you said everything was blend blends 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 like why did somebody one day go hey we should do a single malt like what was that epiphany well you know us us hardy islanders were always drinking single malt we would have been drinking a relatively rough and ready spirit but then basically phylloxera happens so the aphid off of the american grapevines comes over to europe i think it first yeah. landed in england and can it hits the Rhone Valley, I think, was it 1852? It was our 1850s anyway. So that decimates all the Europeans' grapevines. So that means no cognacs, armagnacs, brandies, grappas. So us crafty Scotsmen started selling blend, but like we were blending elements of single malt. We, yeah. you know, the, invent, the invention of the coffee still, continuous still distillation. They were all coming in at that stage so the crafty guys that were there at the time started blending whiskey to like soften the bigger you know like the bigger effects of what single malt is and richer bigger notes that we have that are unique to what we enjoy in single malt to this day but at that time people were wanting what you know what, what we'd probably lazy people would call smooth whiskey and they were wanting something to fill that gap with not having the brandies so blended whiskey became such a household staple in you know in you still is to this day in in europe and then as as people start selling and it really it's been a big cultural thing that if you look at really everything that we enjoy in the world today or the wine culture the wine drinking's gotten a lot bigger 
is a lot more kind of craft beers with so much hopping. People were looking for bigger flavors, more interesting. And when you have a wealth of, oh gosh, now 130 single malt distilleries in Scotland giving you different one, like different flavors in each way and bigger, bolder flavors they all start to come into play so it you know it's, it's had its ups and downs it's had its journey over kind of but like who was but like who was the first one to step out that you saw like because you know I, I growing up in south africa it was all blends there were no single malts and you know when i ran nightclubs and restaurants you know up until early 2000s like it really was i mean people would order blends there was no one coming in and asking like what was it who was because if you're a business you know, I don't know what that business decision looks like. Like, hey, we're going to like, you know, we're going to go out on a limb and just push these single malts in the market and see what happens. I mean, it had to be a couple that were like, well, fuck it, let's just do it. Yeah, so like definitely the first one. So again, my old boss, you know, uh, the Fiddick, Glenn Fiddick and, and the family that owned that were like the first really to you know, to, to push that out, uh, single malt, uh, and a lot of family history with that, taking it to America. And I think they, you know, they really, obviously with a brand lens on from another company, but they, they always kind of pushed that conversation that they were the first to pioneer single malt, but you know, it was all going well until like the mid eighties, late eighties, around about the time I was born. And then the whiskey market basically had a dive. And there was a lot of recovery in the early 90s, mid-90s to recover any kind of market because vodka and cognac had really taken over the spirits market. So there was a lot of hard work done in those early 90s to kind of get, get whiskey back up. And a lot of things that we talk about now, like regions and AIDS mattering and things like that, were all around about that time when they came into marketing chat around about then. So there's been a lot of hard work done over the years to get it back, but yeah, and there's a few peaks and troll definitely there. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Now let's talk about your current position and what you're up to. Okay. Is there a follow-up on that or do I just, I want to just hear about, because like, you know, it's like, you know, you did Korea, then you did America. And now you're back home. Like what's, what's, you know, like it's pretty darn cool. It was Brown Foreman. You got some amazing liquid. I know, you know, you gave me some amazing liquid that you were playing with over there. I mean, it's pretty cool. That, that whole story there too. Yeah. So, you know, I was, I, I never, never once a city boy and always longed to be back in Scotland. And now three distilleries at Brown Foreman own Glendrona, which I'm sure everyone knows on here. Ben which, you know, what a treat the liquid is that comes off the still and really where I've been based most of summer because of the relaunch and some, uh, some other things has been Glen Glassa, which has been a real hidden gem. Oh, many, I think. Man. And oh, that is, like, that is something that Glen Glassa just caught me by surprise. You know, like that's, that's good. That's great whiskey. That really oh, is something. special. Special, special whiskey. But yeah, and, and so now, you know, main, main role is looking after and building programming for brown foreman guests coming to the distilleries, linking in with markets, finding out what they're, they're needing from us at the distillery and try and build that out to a fashion that I was used to building out in, say, Los Angeles or Singapore. 
then there's everything else that comes with it and, yeah. and with a lot of local engagement with uh, people around each distillery, learning stories and really just trying to represent, you know, the fine liquid that our whiskey maker Rachel Barry makes. And, you know, Rachel, a local a local lady, she's originally from Inverurie, which is just, just down the road from a couple of the, the distilleries and oh she makes good whiskey you know and certainly with the relaunch of Glen Glass uh, with the core range and that well amazing elegance and spirit into that whiskey so yeah that one I mean at, at the distillers one of one the Sotheby's I mean that was just like silly whiskey and the ones you gave me were just like I'm like holy shit I mean and I bought one of those older like 30 year olds and it's just amazing it's just you know yeah it's I'm looking I'm looking forward to those that those range those three whiskeys getting onto more you know you know obviously glendronach's been on the shelves forever now but it's going to be nice to see ben Riek and glenn come come on the shelf as well and kind of continue the story oh oh yeah um and but you know each each one of the distilleries has its own kind of place that glendronach in in a couple of years time is or in three years time is going to be celebrating its 200th anniversary of having a distillery there legally on site which is going to be huge for the brand there's a lot of exciting things going on around that but then when we look at the rebrand of ben Riek, I, i've always loved ben Riek. from like early days of selecting stuff there was some absolute unicorns from that distillery but it also has the oldest peated stock in space that we've all like there's been a floor maltings there and that's really why it's safe the distillery is so internal connected with longmorn but yeah. the different decades of peated liquid and how it changes decade by decade is insane once you get into that 70s 80s liquid and then you know you've just got this lovely story of what glenn glass is that it's been probably closed for more than it's ever been opened but you know, the 40, 45 year old, 50, 56 year old kind of liquid is so phenomenal that it has such character to it. It still has so much distillery style and style of place about it. So, you know, each, each one and, you know, Brown Foreman, if you, you know, what history they've had, you know, starting off with Old Forester, what an important, important bourbon brand. So three distilleries are in a great place, you know, under their stewardship and, I'm here to make things, but I'll try and bring a little bit of that to life for the cast at Cops Scotland. Well, I'm excited to have you in the mix over there. Tell me something. Final question. Is there a moment, I'm sure there's a few of them, where you're like, holy shit, I can't believe I'm doing this. Is there one moment that stands out in your head? Like for me, I thought I'd done a lot of cool shit until I sat at that lunch at the distillers one of one and drank all that crazy whiskey i'm like this is a fucking pinch me moment like wow this is a journey this is a, this is going to be a great piece in the movie one day anything come to mind i'm sure you've had a lot of them so like anything like you like whoa uh, so many amazing amazing types drinking liquid that very very few people in the world ever get to even see or look at and you know i was getting to dive on quite a bit of it but i think just going something just a little bit simpler the things that would stop me would be like times like we had in la when it'd be like right gavin are we going to do a day in beverly hills 
and we're just cutting around <laughs> Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills, having a caviar and, service, champagne. You know, yeah, the, the <laughs> casting caviar program was definitely a bit of a nonsense, let's be honest, but it did allow us to extend barbells quite severely. Or the, dinner, or the dinner in Vegas where with the, with the boys in that private room, and I, and I remember the the maitre d' coming over and talking into the one guy's ear and like, no, 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 you haven't hit the room minimum yet. I'm like, how the fuck have we not hit the room minimum? We've had every dish on the menu. We've toured the kitchen. They literally put fucking big ball bottles on the table and just said, we've eyeballed it. You guys just pour for yourselves and we'll figure out the bill later. <laughs> now, no, 32 nights was just like, what the hell? Okay, we're getting champagne now. We haven't spent it up. <laughs> yeah, that's because like half the, the half the people we invited, I don't think, turned up. So yeah, we made up for it that night. But <laughs> nah, truly, like the days like you know, you know, cutting around in Los Angeles when you have that wonderful sunsetting, the palm trees, and I'd just be looking around, just thinking, this is amazing. And then you know, it was always good company. You know, we're just going around Peninsula Lounge Bar at five o'clock where else do you want to be in the world it's you know and then just people watching you know and it could have been a 12 double root in my hand it could have been any whiskey you know but just sitting there watching and it made that it made those whiskey so much more special i mean really i mean i don't know i'm, I'm excited in your new chapter because we get to go with a whole new bunch of stuff to do in a different way but it's been a hell of a fucking journey you know it really has been and I'm so grateful, oh, you know, for the friendships. Like, I didn't get into this and think there would be friendship. But you think, like, you and me and the banter and the fun and the laughs and the silliness that we can't necessarily always talk about on the show that has happened. It's just like, holy shit. Like, life's pretty fucking good. Yeah, yeah. But if I've, that's what made the job so easy being abroad was, gosh, you met good people all around the world. And I hope I... Hope anyone that's listening that is one of those people know who they are because, gosh, if it wasn't for them and some good whiskey in my hand, I wouldn't have seen half of what, not, not even, not even, even, even more three quarters of what I'd seen because of uh, just because of good people taking me out because of uh, shared stories with whiskey. So, well, I, I tell you the other thing, yeah, I don't think you realize your legendary status, but like even Brett, who I just met, and then obviously with Dad, like they do great impersonations of you. Like when you're ready to go, they're like, they're like this guy just goes, and I'm like, fuck yeah, he does. That's what I love him. I mean, I still, I still tell. I think the the biggest thing for like your our relationship, you and me, was I knew that you would stay up late, but we we would rarely play golf, but we did. And I don't. We were in like Mission Valley on that fucking like goat path that had a few holes that were decent. And I'd never seen you hit. And you're like, yeah, I'm just gonna hit the ball all the way across the lake, straight onto the green. I'm like, but it's par four. Why the fuck would you do that? And you're like, yeah. And you did it. I'm like, oh shit. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> like. <laughs> And that's when you told me, like, the, you know, the, the stories growing up and playing with your grandmother. So I was like, holy shit, that was a big hit. Yeah, that 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 was one you look on the tee and go, there's no way. But, you know, if I do get it on, <laughs> that'll be something for the rest. But you just have to make sure that when you're over in May, we're we're playing some proper links golf. Definitely. I, you know, I was talking to dad, I'm like, if we get to hang out, the three of us, and do some cool stuff, 
Uh, the weather will be nice. So I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm going to start plotting that soon. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show, my brother. I really can't. You know how much I fucking love you. And I just, I can't thank you for enough because you've helped me on my journey so much to learn more and of course have fun, which is great too. You know, any social media you want to plug? You know, nowadays, not as a brand ambassador, I don't have to plug any social media, but you can definitely find me on the ground. I'll be tagged into into, uh, one of your posts, but yeah, I don't even have to do it anymore, but people are more than welcome. I'm a little bit slow on it at the moment, but one day it'll come back. All right. Well, I know it. I think you're in a good space. If you don't come back in that, it's fine. It's just fine. I'll come and take pictures with you and tag you. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening today. <laughs> you know, I really want to thank everyone who's taking the time to listen. We're having a lot of fun on this podcast. I've got great guests. I've got real passion. My guests have way more passion sometimes, and I love that. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for rating the shows. I see the ratings, and we'll see everybody next time. <laughs>